If those of you here this morning when we were on the panel, you notice we had professionals and then we had amateurs, and we were a little nervous. I told Bob after the panel discussion to take us off any future panels who didn't feel God's calling. So um, let me just say before I share some thoughts with you how this all came about. Um, when Bob called me and asked if we would participate in this, said it was the first marriage conference at your church. I asked him what, it, what we would talk on because, again, you know, we're not professionals. And he said, well, you know, we're just talking on marriage. And he said, um, we were talking about examples of marriage. And he said, you know, everybody's an example and every marriage is an example, whether it's good or bad. And he said, we were talking about, you know, examples of marriages. And so he said, we had three really good examples. He said, myself, Cody, and Paul. And he said, Cody just suggested that we get some contrast. So I said, well, I said, you know, I said, at least I'd be an expert because I'm from out of town. So I hope that the fact that I'm not a professional doesn't make you uneasy or nervous or uncomfortable in any way because I am an expert. We are a long way from home. I can say about whatever I want to, <laughs> except for a few things. Beverly did show up too. Uh, let me just uh, start off by reading a little, a few words by John Piper. He's been instrumental in my life and uh, he has some things to say about marriage. And I thought I'd just, uh, we've been talking about marriage as a picture and it is a picture, and, and actually all of our lives are a picture of, of Christ incarnate in us. So as we think about that, what kind of picture are we presenting to those who are watching? And we have, we have an audience, uh, you know, we have many people watching. So here's what John Piper said. He said, marriage is a picture that stands for something more than a man and a woman becoming one flesh. It stands for the relationship between Christ and his church. It's meant to be a living drama of how Christ and the church relate to each other. God means marriage to say something about his son and his church by the way husbands and wives relate to each other. You know, marriage is a picture. And I think we have to just ask, well, what does that picture look like? Because all of us have a picture. And uh, I think the clarity of the picture will be determined by the way husbands and wives relate to each other in love. And um, the picture either tells the truth or it tells a lie, but we're always telling something. Something is always being said by the way we treat each other and the way we live with each other. So we're either telling the truth about God's love for his church and his desire to be reconciled to his people by the way the husband treats the wife and the wife treats the husband, or we're telling a lie. But one of, one, of the, one of the other we are speaking. Our children and others are seeing something. And since we believe most of what we see, some of what we hear, we must pay close attention to the way we're developing this picture. A lot of times we see ministry just as something we go outside and do when sometimes the, the biggest and most powerful message we can proclaim is people watching how we react in certain circumstances. Uh, we want our marriages to strengthen the faith of our children. When children look at our 
marriage and see us relating with each other, we want that to strengthen the faith of our children. And we also want it to strengthen the faith of others that we know and are around us. We want to be able to see the ups and downs, the way we work through the ups and downs of life. Because, you know, most of life is not really about conferences and and big-time deals. It's just kind of the mundane things of everyday life. You know, washing the clothes, taking taking care of the children, going to work, cutting grass, doing all these things. It's just really made up much more of that. And I think sometimes we forget that that's a great opportunity for ministry. 24-7, God calls us to honor and glorify Him. So the need to see the reality of Christ in our lives, regardless of our circumstances, that's what we need to be showing. Regardless of what our circumstances are, they need to see that God is sovereign, that God is good, and that we can always trust Him. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it talks about being imitators of God and walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The husband will seek to imitate Christ in his sacrificial love for his church in the way that he leads his wife in a sacrificial manner. It costs us something. It's going to cost us if we're going to get to know our wives, if we're going to live with them in an understanding way if we're going to partner with them in a friendship and build on that friendship, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us sitting down and thinking through our goals and seeing what we're aiming at because, as we all know, if you aim at nothing, you'll be sure to hit it. So if we don't have a goal, it really doesn't matter which path we're taking. So we really need to be talking about those things. And even though we've been married 41 years, it's critical for us to continue. We could fall off the deep end tonight after this talk. So we're to be imitators of God and we're to walk in love and we're to sacrifice as Christ sacrificed for us. And then the wife would seek to imitate Christ in the sacrificial love that he has for his church in, her, in responding and loving support of that type of leadership. So you have those two things working together and it's a powerful thing if people look on and see that. If they can see Christ in that relationship, it's just a powerful, powerful thing. And so... So regardless of how good or godly our marriages are, none are perfect. But, you know, there are some good marriages, and that's what God wants us to have. There are some, sometimes we think, well, you know, nobody, everybody's the same. Nobody really has a good one. Nobody has a perfect one. But that's not really true. There are people that really enjoy coming home to their wives and really enjoy getting involved in these mundane things to allow God to build his life into us. In just the simple ways. And we all have insufficiencies. We, uh, we strive to imitate Christ, though, in all we do. As First Corinthians says, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. So really, that's whatever we do. It takes care of all the rest. So the way we eat, the way we drink, and the way we do all things, we're to do it to the honor and glory of Christ. Uh, nobody's doing that perfectly. But I think sometimes we just think, well, I can't do it. He can do it, she can do it, and, but I can't do it. And we can't, except with the power of Christ, by His grace, that motivation that moves us towards seeking the Lord. We want to please you. We want to honor your name. We're your ambassadors. We want to make your name look good. And when you start thinking of making God's name look good, it can change a whole lot of what we do. You know, uh, 
I was thinking about Adam and Eve, and they had that perfect picture for a short time. But then when they listened to the tempter and sinned and fell from grace, that picture was distorted, and it's been distorted ever since. But God would have his children, it seems, those who come together in marriage, he would have us and those who are single, those who he calls maybe to celibacy or, or, or you're single until you get married. He would still call us to live in a way that people would see Christ in our lives through our personalities. We all have different personalities, but God wants to show that he can overcome all of that and operate through our lives in powerful ways, regardless of what our circumstances are. Now we're going to talk just a little bit about the impact of example, because we are all making bigger impacts than we think. Maybe people aren't telling us what they see. Maybe our children aren't telling us what they see. Maybe our neighbors, uh, maybe our husbands and wives aren't telling us what they see, but we are all making huge impacts in different ways. Every marriage and every life is an example. Our words will have more impact if our behavior doesn't consistently contradict them. If my behavior, and it will contradict sometimes, but if we're not quick to repent and to confess our sins and get back right with God and restore that relationship, then our picture is going to have a negative effect. And so uh, it's got to be a lot of confession, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of grace. Uh, I remember walking out of church one day and a, a friend of mine, a Christian man, said, Wow, I just had this scary thought. And I said, What? And he said, I just realized I'm living out my theology. And I said, we all are. And uh, I remember Pastor Randy Pope said once to his congregation on a tape he'd given me. He's a pastor in Atlanta and just a very godly man. And he said uh, to his congregation, he said, you know, if I asked you what your theology was, he said, most all of you would be able to tell me what I'd want to hear. He says, but I'll tell you how I can tell you what your theology is. He said, if I can watch the way you respond to every day circumstances of life, I can tell you what your theology is. And so that's like my friend thinking, boy, that's a scary thought. But see, we all are living out our theology. We're really living out what we truly believe. Henry Scogel, a 17th century Scottish minister, wrote a little book called The, soul, uh, the Life of God and the Soul of Man. And he had a little poem in there that was real short and simple, but it has stuck with me. And it's one of those little things that you hear sometimes and you can't really leave it. But he said something like this. He said, the heart is measured by its flights, some low and others high. The soul is known by its delights and pleasures never lie. I don't know about you, but it just kind of gets a little personal with me. Oswald Chambers, many of you know, wrote the, or his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, uh, made a comment. I was reading a book about 15 years ago or so about him, and it seems like in the book I remembered this, another one of those things you just don't forget, but he lived with his pastor, it seems, and his wife for a while, and after he lived with him quite a while, he made this comment. He said, his sermon stirred my heart. He loved the way this guy preached. He loved what he said. He loved the truth that he heard. He said, but his life changed my life. His sermon stirred my heart, but his life changed my life. 
And, you know, I can say that I've had a, a similar experience to that with the example of a godly man in my life. And, you know, about 21 years ago, when I uh, got a call from a fellow and he said, do you know Bob Welch? And I had met Bob, but I uh, didn't really know him. He says, you really need to, to get to know him. He's got it together. As Max set me up, Bob, I'm going to set you up. He said, you really need to get to know this guy. And so I gave him a call and set up a time when we could go down. And I asked him before I went down, I said, now, Bob, I said, I'm really good about going to these men's conferences and getting on these things. I get real high on something, get real fired up. And I come back and Beverly wonders what I'm on next and how long it's going to last. And I said, if I listen to what you say, but don't do anything of it, will it hurt your feelings? And he said, no, it won't. I said, well, let me bring Beverly because... If I try to sell her on something else, she won't believe it. I said, she needs to hear it too if it's something that we're going to really incorporate into our life. So we packed our family up and we drove down there and that's how it all began. It's a long story and I won't take time to explain much more about it. Except I will say that, uh, you know, every time we'd go down, I'd go down on Wednesdays, take Wednesday afternoon off. And I'd drive down two hours and we'd spend two hours and then I'd drive two hours back to Huntsville. And... Uh, You know, I never got the impression that Bob was trying to tell me, do this, 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 do this, 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 and you will have this or you'll have this. But I always saw, because we prayed a good bit, he would always pray a lot, and he always wanted to pray that he'd be a better father and a better husband, and uh, just for God's direction and really looking at God's word and the seriousness of it and how it should direct our lives and all that we do. And so, you know, that really impacted me. It really made it. We had him up to our house some and I'd invite friends over, maybe 15 or 20 people over, some couples. I'd say, hey, I want y'all to hear some of this. And Bob and Vaughn would come up and, and they would do uh, seminars for us in our home. And I'd gone other places and, and heard them. And we, uh, we even had Emily going with Lucy quite a while. Emily tagged around with Lucy. I just wanted as much Lucy to fall and rub off on Emily as I could get. And so she went with a little, she went on a little missionary trip with them once for a week or so. And I said, Emily, I want you to observe everything they do. I said, watch them like a hawk. Cause I told Bob, I said, Bob, I'm listening to what you say. And I like what you say. And I'm challenged by what you say. But I said, if you're not living out what you're telling me, I'm going to be very mad because I've been a phony most of my life. So anyway, Emily went and after the time I said, well, Emily, what'd you think? And she started telling me all these little things. And I said, well, how did they live? what did they do? Do they live like they talk? She said, dad, she said, I just cannot imagine. I think Emily was 12. I can't, I just can't even put in words how much respect Lucy has for her dad. So as we were having talks and growing up, I was trying to take some of these things and work with Emily on them. And she was having a little fit. She's a strong will kid. Like I'm a strong will kid. And so I would tell her sometimes I'd say to Emily, I said, I really think you got the wrong attitude. And she'd stand there like this. And I said, why don't you call Lucy and just see what she would say? And she says, I know what Lucy would say. And I said, what? She said, she would just say whatever her dad says. And I said, well, you know, maybe you need to pray about that and think about it. I said, but I think you got the wrong attitude. So we went through a lot of little things like this. Emily was with them, Vaughn. All of them have played a big role in our lives. But, uh, you know, I think Beverly was very pleased with it, to have a husband that was really 
trying to love her more because of, I mean, we could easily be divorced, easily, easily with the egos and pride that we have. I mean, it's just amazing. I pinch myself sometimes to think that uh, God's done our lives, what he's doing, because, I mean, I can't, I'm witnessing it. But uh, I think she's been really, I know she's been really encouraged by all that. And I think, though, there's one thing that's really bothered her. And, Bob, I hate to share this, but I've got to. She was really concerned when uh, I started limping like Bob. You know, he limps, and now I'm limping. And uh, he's kind of gotten over his. He's doing some things for it. They're telling me I need a hip surgery. And she just thinks I've taken a little too far. So that's about the only thing I can say that she uh, doesn't like because he has definitely had a good influence in my life. Uh, Another thing is, you know, sometimes the influence we have on others can be very negative. There was a time when uh, we had a couple in our house and I was really getting interested in this family thing because I just, I was just a wild guy. And I'd been around all different types of Christians, and I could spot. I heard a lot of Christian talk, but I could tell the people that were just like me. It was easy for me to spot them. I could see them a mile away. You know, they talked religious, but they really were no different, you know, than me. And so sometimes the influences we have on others can be very negative. And, and there was a, a couple that we had in our house with their three children. And we were talking around the table, and this lady's husband was in a ministry. If I told you the name, you would know it. It's a big ministry. And he spoke all over the world and he led people to Christ and he had a very powerful testimony and um, was used in many, many ways. But we're sitting there and we're talking and since I was into the family thing, I was asking everybody, even my children, they would just start laughing. they say, Dad, you just want to know what kind of relationship they have with their father. Whether they're in jail or whether they're here or not, you always want to know that. And I said, well, you know, I'm... I'm beginning to understand that's a very important part of life. So we were talking, and, and I said, well, what about your sisters? And they were telling me, and they married people in the ministry, and it was really great fellowship. And I said, well, what about your brothers? And she said, well, one's an agnostic and one's an atheist. <laughs> I mean, I mean, good gracious, what in the world? So I, I just said, that is really, how in the world... She said, I know exactly. She said, I know exactly why they're like that. She said, it's because of the way my dad treats my mom. And man, that just gave me chills. Because this guy spoke in our church. And he was like me up here talking to you all. And just gave me chills. And I just thought, wow. Because God tells us he honors those who honor him. And if we dishonor, especially... Our wives, when he says we have to give honor to them, is the weaker vessel live with them in an understanding way, or he won't hear our prayers. That's pretty strong. And uh, so we left that night, and, you know, I just thought, well, here's a man that obviously he enjoys his ministry, he likes what he's doing, he feels good about what he's doing, but it hasn't connected with him somehow that his relationship with God is really no better than the one he has with his neighbor, his wife, because God says, love your neighbor, the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our neighbor is the closest person to us. If it's our child, if it's our neighbor next door, whoever it is, if it's a che- person at the checkout counter, our neighbor is the closest person to us.
And so I was just saddened by that. But then again, I'm the greatest sinner I know. So it's like Oswald Chambers said, if you really look in your own heart, you can't despair of any man. And, and I can't despair of any man. I'm the greatest sinner I know. On the other hand, you know, I had a father who certainly wasn't the spiritual leader that he should have been. We were just typical uh, middle-class family. It's growing up in America, having a good time. And uh, my dad was not a spiritual leader. I even asked him a few times if he would lead us, talk to us about it. He, he said he'd committed his life to Christ when he was 10 years old, and he was baptized in an artesian well down in South Alabama. And he knew if he died, he knew he'd go to be with the Lord. And, and we just were hoping plenty that was true. But, you know, the way he honored my mom was exemplary. He honored her mom. So when my mother died of cancer, he, uh, he didn't remarry, but we would always go over to his house and we just wanted to do something for him. So someone had told me about a book called A Tribute. I think Dennis Rainey wrote this book. This was maybe 20 years ago, so I don't know the time frame, but... It's called a tribute. And what he encouraged us to do as children was to honor our parents because he said, you know, over the course of his life, he studied for like 25 years where God says that uh, if you honor your parents, he says the first commandment with the promise. And he said, those who I've studied and watched their lives, those who've honored their parents, the line kind of goes like this. It's kind of a successful thing. He said, those who haven't, he said, it's kind of like this, a downward spiral. And he said, it's a mystery. I can't explain it. He said, I'm just telling you, it's important to God that we honor. So he said, if you don't do anything else in your household as a Christian, he said, teach your children to honor you. If you don't teach them anything else, because if you teach them to honor you, it's the first commandment with the promise. God will bless them. So I took that seriously. And uh, I was going to read just a couple of things. We did, we, we did the tribute. We decided to do it. And what you did... We had, there were five of us, and we could not get together, but the rules were that you could thank this parent or the parents for anything that they'd done for you, but no, no flattery. No flattery at all. You could just thank them for things that they had done. And uh, we would frame it, so we all did it, all five of us. We frame, got somebody to frame it, and on Christmas we read it to my dad. My mom had passed away. And so here's a couple of things that, that were shared. Just uh, We had letters, single-spaced, and said quite a few things about him, but here's my sister. There were four boys and one girl. She said, finally, I want to thank you for perhaps the single most significant thing I've observed in your life. I think this had a greater impact on our family than anything else. It was the way you honored our mother. And then my younger brother said that, he said, the thing that meant so much was that you loved Mama and held her in highest regard before all your children and the extended family and the community, community. And what a valuable lesson. And then my older brother said, I remember the love you showed Mom when she had cancer. The love you showed during that difficult time was a real inspiration to me. It is helpful in my marriage today. And I will always thank you. And then one more says, the thing that stands, my youngest brother, the thing that stands out the most to me was your loving way with people, the time you always made for us, never playing favorites, although I used to tell them I was the favorite, never playing favorites and loving my mama. 
You know, it's just it. So you see, in all those tributes, my dad was making an impact. He never did a Bible study with us. He never encouraged us to get him. He liked the impact that solid Christian principles were having on our lives, but he never did any of that. But it was just the way he lived his life in that way. And we didn't ever sit around talking about it. We never sat around and said, God, like, can you remember? Look at him. What a wonderful way he loves mom. We never did that. It was just, so we, we're, we're seeing a whole lot more than we're even processing. But at later times, we'll start processing it and we'll see. And so, uh, you know, it's important that our actions and our influence be directed in the right way and that we consider seriously. You know, again, most of us are involved in ministry. We're speaking and we're helping people and we're serving. But there may be some little things in our relationships that we're really dishonoring God with. And if that's the case, he doesn't let it slip. It's important. It's bringing dishonor to his name. So we see this picture in our marriages that represents what it represents is so important that it should tell the truth about God's love for his church. All the time we should be seeking. And when we do tell a story of treating Beverly improperly or whatever, again, confession, make it right, move on, talk about it. And God is honored. He forgives quickly. Finally, you know, sharpening this picture. You know, we've all got the picture. So sharpening. So I can't really give you a... If you do this, this, this is going to sharpen it. We all pretty much know. Y'all have heard the best theology, you know, for years. And, and what, what you heard today from Paul and from Cody and, and Bob, all those things. You don't have to do all those things. But whatever God's pricking your heart with, whatever resonates with your heart, latch on to that. And if you've got some relationship that's out of whack, just be man enough or woman enough to show enough respect to God to say, you know, God, if you give me the courage, I'll go do this. Uh, Andrew Murray said once that there's nothing so invigorating as a hearty effort to obey. Once you and I know we need to go do something, God puts it on the heart. And we know we're going to do it. Hell or high water, we're going to do it. We may fail, but God, we're going to do it. We think this is what you want us to do. It invigorates us. We know what it feels like. So... When we're thinking about sharpening this image, sharpening this picture, a few things that have been helpful to Beverly and I and still are, because honestly, if we move away from any of these things, I think our picture will start fading more and more and more. I told her, and we've talked about this recently, that if he lets us live five more years or one more year, or 10 more years or whatever, we want our marriage to get better and better and better, although we're getting older because the bodies are passing away. But the inner spirit, you know, it's being renewed day by day. And this way to glory that's been prepared for us, we can't even imagine. It's just so much more important than these old wrinkles and all these things that are happening to our bodies. So God's word has definitely been very, very, very important to us. And it is every day. And, you know, it's, uh, it's like Psalm 15. You read Psalm 15 and you think, wow, that's the kind of man that can dwell with God, live in his holy hill and, and, and walk with God. And it's a man who walks uprightly. It's a man who is righteous. It's a man who speaks the truth in his heart. And, you know, the, the one that's come back to me 
uh, within even the last month, twice in relationships that I've had with people, is, it says he swears to his own hurt and he will not change. I was in a lawyer's office a few weeks ago and we were doing a business deal with another Christian guy. And he was a professing Christian guy. And I had made a comment to him. I said, okay. I said, I will do whatever. And I named two people. Whatever they say, whatever they do. If it costs me, whatever, I will do it no matter what. And so about two weeks later, this guy was really kind of, he was really kind of doing some things he shouldn't have been doing. But I was telling him, I said, you know, when you sign this agreement, I said, as a Christian, I said, we really shouldn't have to have lawyers to make sure that we sign. If you tell me something, I tell you something. I said, we are given a word before holy God. I said, we should live up to what we say. And he said, well, he said, why don't you do it? He said, you said that you would do whatever these two people said. <laughs> and I just thought, oh my goodness, I did. It looked like it was going to be costly. And I said, well, you know what? That's, that's what I said. And this is what I'm going to do. So went down to the lawyer, talked to him. And uh, here's what the lawyer said when we settled it. He said, you know, he said, I don't think it's right what this guy did. He said, but the way you and this other guy have handled this has really, really made an impact in my life. Because he's a Christian lawyer. I know some people think that's an oxymoron. But I know. Is Rush, is, is Rush here? I hope not. Oh, oh, my goodness. I know Rush is. But, and my son's in law school, so, you know, I can say that. So God's word, you know, uh, things like putting on the armor, putting on the armor and uh, fighting off the schemes of the evil one because every single one of us, every single one of us have an enemy and he wants to kill us, he wants to steal, he wants to destroy, he wants to kill either physically, he wants to kill the relationships, he wants to destroy the relationships between parents, between siblings, between friends. And, uh, you know, God just won't have it any other way than he is the center of all things. He must be preeminent in all things. And so scriptures like Ephesians 6, where we talk about putting on the armor of God and realizing it doesn't matter where we're at a conference like this or whatever. You may cruise for a day or a night or something, but God tells us the enemy's after us. He does not like us trying to grow and become like him. He does not like us trying to make this picture look better where people would look at it and say, wow, what's, man, what is going on? Who do they worship or whatever? He, he does, the enemy doesn't like that. So God's word has been very, very important to us. And it's kind of become like a compass for us. We want it to direct us. We want it to be the compass. We want to, we want it to serve as a biblical grid for our lives. And so when we know what God wants us to do, we want to try to do that. On those things that there's really a lot of debate and all these things on, I mean, we we just need to concentrate on what we know God's telling us. And there are plenty of things he's telling us in his word to guide us and direct us. So compass and, being a, and, and using it as a biblical grid. Now this one, I can't overemphasize. One day Bob was in our house. We just had, I think maybe we'd have one of those little seminars or something. And I said, Bob, I said, uh, you're looking at our marriage. And I said, we're trying to tell you what's going on. I said, tell us anything you see. And it won't hurt our feelings. I said, we want to grow. We want to change. Tell us anything you see that we need to stop doing, anything you, 
can see that we need to stop, start doing, we really want to know. And he said, uh, he said, do y'all pray together daily? And I said, no, I mean, we pray, but not together, not together daily. He said, well, you know, somebody challenged me to do that years ago. He said, uh, he made that a part of his life, him, Bon, and he said, nothing bad ever comes from it. Now, I don't know if Bob told me that or the guy told him that, but Beverly and I got started right away, and it really wasn't a pretty thing. I mean, it just wasn't too pretty. I mean, I was praying God would change her. She was praying God would change me. We would get down, and 45 minutes seemed like three hours of misery. And, and so finally, we just had to agree that we were not going to go to bed until we could at least get, get it resolved. And uh, so we worked through that and worked through that and worked through that. The main thing is just not to quit. You know, uh, Beverly mentioned one time, she said, you know, it's really hard to be honest before God in your prayers if you have something against your mate. So we have to kind of take care of those things, you know. It's so important. We're in the presence of a holy God, not just here. When we walk out the door, get in the car, wherever we are, we're in his presence that's the God that we serve. And uh, he's all about change. He says, I want you to look like me. And I say, but God, it's, they did this and they did that. And he says, vengeance is mine. And I said, I know, but you're really not doing it fast enough. As a matter of fact, you're not doing it at all. You know, you, I don't see anything happening. This guy's getting away with everything. So we start questioning his sovereignty. We start questioning his goodness. And then we start questioning whether or not we can trust him. And before you know it, we're off on a pathway we may or may not ever come back. I know, and I've told my children this. I said, if a prayer that I, and, and so if y'all read about me being gone or killed on the way home or whatever, I told them, I said, God, if I ever would go back to the way I was living before, you got a hold of my life. I said, take my life. I said, I don't want to live here like that. I don't want to go back to the pleasures and things that I was giving myself to that seemed to be so wonderful and so exciting and so enticing. I love the fast lane. I love the fast cars. I love the fast... It just was a big lie. It's like Frank Barker said, the devil paints that lie in front of you and he drips a little honey in your heart. And he said, then you look at that picture and you think, I got to have it. I got to have it. it drip 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 and then when you step over and take the bait he's laughing he's got you someone said once shun the bait and avoid the struggle in the snare that's been another little saying it's been very helpful for me shun the bait i know what the bait is for my life i know the things that can take me way off center and I, other people can do some of those things but i can't and so as you're growing, that's going to happen. There are going to be some things God's going to say, you know what? Joe can do that. John can do that. Susie can do that. Sally can do that. But you can't do that. Not if you're going to honor me. Because this is about me and you. It's about integrity. And it's about honesty. And I'm not playing a game. So Beverly and I kept that up and we keep that up till today. And you know, if we miss it, we don't freak out. It's not like it's something that, oh my goodness, we're going to get divorced now. We quit praying. We didn't miss yesterday. No, but it's a thing that you can build on. And we do it sometimes many times a day, even when we're driving or something. If we, I'll give you a typical prayer. 
we may be going to a couple's house or something. We'll say, God, please let us be a blessing to them as they might be a blessing to us. And let us truly honor you with all that we do. In this company, in these conversations, will you be glorified or something like that? Another one is that we're praying that as we get older in our marriage, that our children, even though they're getting older, that they will see Christ so vividly that they won't even want to think about having any other type of marriage other than a Christ-centered, godly marriage. And see, to do that, we've got to get them past us. They've got to, got to see Christ in us. It can't just be a performance thing. That just won't work. So I want to encourage you, if you're doing that, to build on it and to build on the friendship because the friendship is missed in marriages a lot today and is a powerful tool. It'll help you relate to your children. It'll help you relate to you. Make it a priority to build on that friendship. Uh, so prayer is just a huge thing. So a, a pastor asked one time, he said, if you quit praying, he said, what would, uh, how would it affect your life? If you quit praying, how would it affect your life? And I can honestly tell you, even as a professing Christian years ago, it wouldn't have made much difference in my life if I would have quit praying. It would not have made much difference. If we took, and we've talked about this, if we stopped praying today, it would make a huge difference in our life. And it's all about the goodness of God. It's not about some program that we're on. So build on it. Start if you hadn't done it. As Bob said, nothing comes, eventually good comes out of the bad. You can get off your knees eventually as you quit praying, praying God would change the other person and start saying God changed me. And then honoring one another. Oh, wow. I read a book. A guy gave me a book years ago. It was called, and I'm not recommending these books because I really don't know whether these would really be great books or not. You've got to realize we're all coming from different places. But I think the Coors distributor guy, the, one of the Coors men, the beer distributor, uh, had read this book and it changed his life. It was called Do Yourself a Favor, Love Your Wife. And so a friend of mine gave it to me and I read it and it was very hard on the man. It was very, very hard. And as I was reading through it, I thought, well, that's the way I treat Beverly. That's the way I treat Beverly. I was playing tennis. I was playing golf. I, I could, if, if I was late for dinner, I mean, what's the deal? Why are you so angry? I mean, it's all about me. I mean, it's about my friends, it's about what we're doing. Why are you so angry that I didn't call you? Just because you had dinner ready at six, we played another two sets. It was 830. I mean, what's the big deal? See, that was the attitude. And so this honor, this thing of honor is so big. One, I had it wrong. Everybody's going to laugh about this one. But when I was first getting a hold of this, I really thought, you know, you know how we get fired up? Us guys, sometimes I'm thinking, okay, I really want to. I'm the priest, the prophet, and king of my home. That's a big deal. And when I found that out, it was a really big deal because I thought, I'm the priest, the prophet, and king. So one day I was talking to the family and I said, I was not happy with them. And I said, y'all realize that I'm the priest, the prophet, and the king of this house? And I just looked at each one. I said, do you realize that? I am the priest, the prophet, and I'm the king of this house. And they looked at me like, what are you on? And I said, and so I looked at Beverly and Beverly looked at me like, where are you going? Where are you going with this? So I realized I better backpedal a little. So I looked at Emily. She was about, I don't know, eight, whatever. And I said, well, let me just say this. I said, I'm not the perfect father. And Emily said, we know. And uh, I said, but I want to be. So I said, y'all pray for me. I said, y'all, y'all pray for me. So that was my, I call that my little king talk. And I was really confusing lordship, which Bob was talking about earlier, with lordship. And I just told Beverly, 
I did. I told Beverly, I said, Beverly, if you could just start calling me Lord Shep. I said, I think it could work out. Okay. And uh, so that didn't fly too much. It was called, if I were talk, making a talk out of that, I would title it Zeal Without Knowledge. That would be my title of that. One day, I, was, had a, I met this guy who had come into town to uh, do a project from Nashville, and he was a, a contractor. And we got together and started talking and found out he was a Christian, so challenged him in some things. And we started meeting every Monday morning at 5.30 out at the airport at his office. One day he comes in about three or four weeks later, throws his arms back like that, and he says, he says, God's not answering my prayers. I said, Why? He said, I'm not honoring Allison. He said, God's not answering my prayers. He says, it says in First Peter uh, 3, 7, you know, that I've got to honor her or it will affect my prayers. And he said, I'm not honoring her and it's affecting my prayers. The thing that's really encouraged me along with those meetings that we had was a little bit later, we had him out to our house. They just had a young baby and we had him out to our house. And his wife said, I feel like I've got a husband again for the first time. So he had started trying to honor her. So the honor thing, honor is a big deal because we all want to be honored. But when we honor other people, God honors us. He says, I honor those who honor me. So think of ways. Romans 12, I think it's Romans 12, 10 says something in ESV like, outdo one another showing honor. Outdo one another showing honor. You know, how can I honor Beverly today? How can I honor you if we're around each other? So... That was a, a huge, huge thing for us. And then I'm needing to close up here because y'all are full of food. You're full of good lectures and good fellowship. And half of you are probably asleep. So I want to make this close. Believing the truth. This is real. Beverly and I laugh about this because in the book, and it's an awful title, but it really is a practical book. And I, again, I'm not recommending the book. It's called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Who wants to be spiritually depressed? I mean, that's not what it's about, but it's just really practical lessons from his sermons that he gave on different topics. And uh, we laugh about this because I always thought my my uncle was a doctor and in charge of, of one of the hospitals that, for all the kind of crazy people. And he would take me out there when I was younger and walk around and stuff like that. They were always talking to themselves. I mean, they were talk. They would ask a question. They'd answer it. They'd do everything. And so... He was talking to us in here about, he said, you really need to learn to talk to yourself. He said, because when you wake up in the morning, he said, somebody's talking to you. And he said, you start listening to yourself. He said, that's who's talking to you, it's yourself. And he said, you start listening to these things. And he said, you you start going down these pathways of what somebody's done to you and how they've hurt you and how you got to get in or how you don't have this done or that done or whatever. And he says, you really need to learn how to manage yourself. He said, you need to learn how to manage yourself because he, we're driven by emotions and our emotions can just take us to the craziest places. And it's not usually good. But he said, you need to tell yourself, no, you listen to me, self, and you start telling yourself the truth. And you start telling yourself. So if you've got some pockets of scripture, and that's one of the most powerful, cleansing, transforming I know it's hard, and the older we get to memorize, we don't have to memorize a lot, but meditate on what we memorize. It changes us. It'll change us. And he says, start telling yourself the truth and make yourself listen to the truth. We don't have to listen to ourselves. Let me read you something John Piper wrote again. 
He says, because we're all feelings. I mean, God made us with feelings and, and that's fine if the Holy Spirit's directing our lives. But he says, my feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. My feelings are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with the truth. When that happens, and it happens every day in some measure, I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings, but rather I plead with God, purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so that they're in sync with the truth. And then he says, my son sent me this. I don't know whose quote this is a quote, and I, I don't know who, who made this quote. Maybe Mr. Piper, but it ties in. He's, he sent me this. He said, once you start exalting your feelings over truth, it's very difficult to break that habit. So if we're in a habit of letting our feelings, we need to take the truth and no matter what our feelings are saying and doing, and just, and just be determined that by the grace of God, he will change us. And he promises to do it. He has to. That's his promise. I do sometimes what I promise, but sometimes I don't. He does it every time, every single time. So... Believing the truth, you know, not just knowing the truth. If you leave here and you just got all these great ideas about the truth, if you really don't take it to your life personally in some way, it won't matter. I mean, you won't change. It won't, it'll be long before you won't be paying any attention to it. And then it kind of leads to a loose living. You know, you don't pay any attention to the warnings of Scripture. It leads to a loose living of the Christian life. And then you just kind of get in all kinds of trouble. And it's just a sad thing. But it can happen to any of us and it can happen quickly. And then... The last thing is just to mention that it's a work in progress. You know, uh, hopefully next week we'll have a little bit clearer picture. Maybe nobody will ever see it. But hopefully we're aiming in that direction. And see, that's what we need people who want to move in these directions to encourage us. We need people of like mind. You know, if you're around somebody and they're negative all the time and it's really going to hurt you until you can get a little stronger there you need to be praying that god would bring somebody into your life to encourage you in those ways because as william wilford said he said if something can rob you of your joy it robs you of your effectiveness i've never seen somebody with a frown or a big long face and something and i've just thought oh please tell me what your life's about i would love to know you better but if you see somebody that's joyful and it's not a made-up thing it's a powerful tool in God's hands. It's called the joy of the Lord. So Beverly and I want to finish strong. And we were closing out a meeting quite a few years ago with what we call K-groups. Where we had couples in our house. And we'd been meeting for almost a year. And we decided, okay, we're going to go around. And we're going to tell each other what we think about our relationship with God. We're going to tell the truth. Everybody in here, we've been learning all these things. We've been talking about Christian marriage, we've been talking about Christian family, we've been talking about God's word, God's sovereignty and his truth and his goodness. And now, let's just all be real honest. We, we heard a lot of things. When it got around to Beverly, she said, you know, she said, I, I just feel like for me, I love God. But she said, I don't feel like I treasure God. She said, I feel like I treasure temporal things more and I really need to treasure God more. And so I've told her for quite a few years after that, I said, I really think God had you say that primarily for me because 
I had no fear of God for the longest time. I certainly didn't treasure God. I wanted all his blessings. I wanted what he could do for me. But I really never treasured him. He wasn't that special to me. He wasn't so special to me that I considered before a meeting or before a conflict or anything else. That it's so important how I try to honor and glorify God in this. How I really try to be an ambassador for him and represent his name well. It's just it's a long time before I ever even thought about that. So Beverly and I want to finish the race strong. And we believe if we were to do this, we, we pray that God would become our treasure, that he would become our affection. Because, you know, you young people especially, if you're affectionate towards someone else, nobody has to knock you down to get you to tell about what you're affectionate about, whether it's a car or a school or a boyfriend or girlfriend or what. Nobody has to do it because your affections are so strong. And God wants us to feel that way about him. And it has to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. But Beverly and I are convinced that we have got to set our sights and make that a goal that, Lord, we want to treasure you more because we know if he becomes our treasure, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. It was just such a special thing. It was just such a special deal. And that's how God wants to be with us. So I'm going to close with, uh, and Beverly told me not to say I'm going to close. But I'm not a professional and I can kind of do it how I want to. I'm going to close with handling adversity. Because every single one of us have adversity. And I'm telling you, and we all know this, if you don't, it's, it will show up at some point in your life, you know. And this is by Oswald Chambers, and it's called The Habit of Enjoying Adversity. And see, I honestly believe if Beverly and I are going to grow the way God wants us to grow, not just be good church members and not just be good Christian people and lead someone to Christ every now and then or whatever, but if we truly are going to be more of a 24-7 and try to do that as much as we stumble, as much as we fall, we're going to have to treasure God and we're going to have to appreciate the circumstances that he brings into our life that cause suffering, not when we've messed up in an unrighteous way, but suffering for righteousness. And here's what Uncle Oswald, that's what I call him, Uncle Oswald. He says, uh, he takes from the verse Second Corinthians 4.10, he says, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. The habit of enjoying adversity. It's almost as crazy sounding as talking to yourself. He says, we have to develop godly habits to express what God's grace has done in us. That takes some effort on our part. You know, sometimes it happens, but we have to develop godly habits to express what God's grace has done in us. It's not just a question of being saved from hell, but of being saved so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. And it is adversity that makes us exhibit his life in our mortal flesh. Is my life exhibiting the essence of the sweetness of the Son of God or just the basic irritation of myself that I would have apart from Him? The only thing that will enable me to enjoy adversity is the acute sense of eagerness of allowing the life of the Son of God to evidence itself in me. The only thing that will enable me to enjoy adversity is the acute sense of eagerness of allowing the life of the Son of God to evidence itself in me. No matter how difficult something may be, I must say, quote, Lord, I am delighted to obey you in this. I guess we've almost got to have that, like, 
the mother of Jesus, you know, she said, uh, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm your servant, Lord. You want me to sweep the floor? Okay. You want me to wash the car? Okay. You want me to whatever. I'm your servant. Let it be according to your word. So he says, uh, I must say, Lord, I'm delighted to obey you in this. Instantly, the Son of God will move to the forefront of my life and will manifest in my body that which glorifies him. You must not debate. The moment you obey the, moment you obey the light of God, his Son shines through you in that very adversity. But if you debate with God, you grieve his spirit. You must keep yourself in the proper condition to allow the life of the Son of God to be manifested in you. And you cannot keep yourself fit if you give way to self-pity. I can have, I've got more hats for pity party than I can ever imagine. They keep, I've got new ones that, that crop up. Our circumstances are the means God uses to exhibit just how wonderfully perfect and extraordinarily pure His Son is. Discovering a new way of manifesting the Son of God should make our heart beat with renewed excitement. Every day, as we're thinking, you know, once we get up, God, I know I'm going to mess up. I know I'm not perfect. You are. I want to follow you. Let me enjoy relationship and intimacy with you today in such a way that I can find new ways of making your name look great. That's what that means to me. It's one thing to choose adversity. And I think if we choose adversity, I mean, we've got some loose screws, really. I think if we choose it. So it's one thing to choose adversity and quite another to enter into adversity through the orchestrating of our circumstances by God's sovereignty. And if God puts you into adversity, he is adequately sufficient to supply all your need. Keep your soul properly conditioned to manifest the life of the Son of God. And that's where it really takes guard our heart. Keep our heart with all diligence. We've got to guard it because see, each one of us have different temptations. We have different things that can knock us out. Max could probably do something and, and, and it's perfectly legitimate and fine to do. And, and I could look at that and I think, boy, that could really send me. It's a good thing, but it could send me down a pathway to things that aren't good. And that's where we all have to individually do it. We can't tell each other what they have to do. So never live on your memories of past experiences, but let the Word of God always be living and active in you. And that's it. And uh, we'll close. I'll have a prayer and we'll eat ice cream or cake or wake up or whatever. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. It's such a, it's such a privilege, Lord, to, to be your children and to be ambassadors for you. To think that you would allow us the privilege of representing you and your name just is so so deep we can't fathom father that at all but we know you're always about our good pure children always and even in adversity lord you will only use those fires to purify your children and make us shine for you so lord we don't ask for it but whatever our circumstances are wherever we find ourselves where we're truly not turning to you to give us the life father that can reflect a picture of your love for your church to others. May we be willing to confess that and turn from that. So we thank you for this time. Father, we thank you for this day and this night. And we ask your blessing on the remainder of this evening and our fellowship that it might truly bring great honor and glory to you. In Christ's name.